You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. Another game week as East Carolina prepares for Marshall. The Thunder and Herd are 2-0. East Carolina, a disappointing 0-2. A near 1-1, but could not beat the South Carolina Gamecocks. Last week inside Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. This week, we are joined by a old friend who is rejoining the podcast. Former co-host, former Hoist the Colors intern and contributor. He is Jonathan Wagner, now with On3 Sports. Jonathan, how does it feel to be back on the Hoist of Colors podcast? It feels good, man. It's It's been weird this year, you know, not being around, you know, Houston and the coordinators and the press conferences and going out to practice and being there in the stadium. I wasn't able to go to South Carolina because I had to work. But it's it's great. I, I love On3. It's a great experience. But it's, it's definitely de- weird and different not being around – ECU as much as I used to be. I miss it, but I love what I'm doing, and I'm glad to be able to get back on here and talk some ECU football again because it's been too long. Yeah, you reached out to me last week, and you're like, hey, man, you ever need anybody on the podcast? I'm going to hop <laughs> on. And Yeah, my schedule is kind of erratic now with the newborn, so like it's hard to nail down a time. So when you told me you have Thursdays off, I'm like, that's perfect because then I can we can work around my schedule and you're off, you're free all day. So that makes it easier. So maybe we'll have you on every now and then going forward. I know you're busy uh, with on three before we dive into it. Uh, tell us a little about what you're doing there. Um, you know, with on three, what kind of writing you're doing. I know a lot of those guys that work over there cause they used to work with 24 seven sports and, and how that transition has been for you. Yeah. So I'm on the national news desk and it, my job title is, you know, it's a college sports technically news desk. We cover football and basketball, but we do a lot of NFL stuff too. Anything we can tie back to, you know, big college markets. Um, so we write a lot about that stuff. I write a lot about Nick Saban. Uh, I frustratingly have to transcribe a bunch of Coach O pressers from the LSU just about every other day. Can't understand the man talk, but, you know, you get used to it. But the transition, it's been awesome. And for those of you who don't know, I posted on the board when I got the job, but I work remotely, so I'm still in Greenville. So I'm still around, you know, ECU in the area. So on days where it works out, I'll still be able to go to ECU football games after I work in the morning. So that's good. But the transition's been awesome. There's a lot of awesome people over there on the desk and just on the side as a whole. So it's been really awesome. I'm loving it. It's really good experience right out of college, too. So it's awesome. I love it. But yeah. It's it's been fun. It's been hectic though. It's been a lot, a big transition, just getting used to a new schedule too. So, but it, but it's been fun. Full time sports writing gigs, uh, they are fun in theory, and they are fun. I mean, you get paid to write about sports, but it uh, it, it's not as glamorous as maybe as people on the outside think it is. Uh, it is a lot of hard work, a lot of writing, and it takes a lot of talent, patience, and you know, just to sit there at the computer all day and write and focus. It takes a lot. So I commend you for it. I've been there, done that, doing it now with ECU. So 
Uh, but let's talk ECU Marshall. That's probably why the people are listening to us, not not for our uh, own personal opinion <laughs> on sports riding. But uh, hey, whatever. We're only four minutes into the podcast. All right, I'm just going to say up front, I did not take questions this week because I know what every single question was going to be. How long until we see Mason Garcia? How long until we see a new offensive coordinator? Why is the offense so bad? Why does the offensive line stink? Why can't the receivers catch the ball? Why aren't we throwing to the tight ends? We're going to talk about all that, Jonathan, um, in this podcast. Kind of the theme of this podcast is going to be this. Marshall can score points. We know this. And they have a solid defense, too. But my question heading into this game is how many points does East Carolina need to go on the road and to win at Marshall? And we'll kind of dive into that question here shortly. But you look at Marshall last season, pretty prolific offense, solid defense, did have some lower scoring games toward the end of the year. Uh, but first two games this year, 49-7 to at Navy. I think everybody was kind of stunned by that score. And then 44-10 to over North Carolina Central. Uh, Marshall, for me, I, I, I still don't know what to make of this football team, though. First-year head coach in Charles Huff. Navy appears to be a dumpster fire right now. I mean, they fired their offensive coordinator. The AD fired the offensive coordinator. And then the head coach rehired him as the quarterback's coach like a day later. So I don't know what the hell is going on in Annapolis, and that's very unlike Navy. Uh, North Carolina Central, we know that North Carolina Central is not very good. So a lot of people are freaking out about how good this Marshall team is, Jonathan. I don't, I don't really know how good this Marshall team is, and I, I don't really know how good ECU is if they're good at all. So what, what are you kind of expecting, uh, broad, broad picture before we kind of dive into this matchup? You know, like you said, I don't really know what to make of Marshall. I, I have no idea what to make of ECU right now, to be completely honest. Um, you know, week one was week one. I thought they. I think they played better in week one than maybe some thought ECU wise. I think, you know, a couple plays go a different way. And, you know, I think Holt Mayless has a great stat line in week one, but I'm sure we're going to get into numbers and that kind of stuff with Aylers pretty much for the rest of the podcast. But it's interesting. It's two teams, you know, you would, you would think just looking, you know, would be relatively even, but I mean, Marshall's offense this year obviously has been better than ECU's offense this year. ECU's defense, not the best showing against App, but then I thought they were really good against South Carolina. Take that with a grain of salt. Um, Zeb Nolan, you know, South Carolina's quarterback, obviously was on a coaching staff a month ago. So, but I thought he looked good in week one, and then he came out and he did not look good against ECU. I thought ECU's defense did well overall in week two. I was impressed, but don't really know what to make of it. So I think all around, there's a lot of questions offensively, defensively, special teams, really every facet of the game. So I don't really know what to expect, but I do think I, – I don't want to say it's a must-win game for ECU, but you, you really need to walk out of this game 1-2 and two instead of 0-3. If you, if you have serious aspirations of making it to a bowl game, you, you, I think you have to come away with this one. Yeah, I think looking back at last week – there was a real sense of urgency within the program to get a win versus South Carolina because of obviously the, you know, I think we all kind of went into this early part of the schedule saying, Hey, you could go three and Oh, you could go and three, but you have to at least probably win one of these three to have a, you know, a realistic shot at a bowl game. If you lose this weekend, then you have to win six of your final nine to reach bowl eligibility. 
And looking at the schedule, ECU is probably going to be favored in max four of those games. Charleston Southern, South Florida Temple, and maybe Navy if they continue on whatever the hell they're doing up there. Uh, so there's four potential wins. I don't think there's any gimme wins for ECU these days with the way they're playing. But then you got at UCF, at Houston, at Memphis, Cincinnati at home. So, I mean, those four games are going to be extremely challenging. Um, and, and I, I just... I don't see very – I just don't see many gimmies on the schedule outside of maybe Charleston Southern, USF, and Temple. So uh, you have to kind of steal one of these games. You're a 10-point underdog on the road. This would be qualified as a steal a game to kind of make up for what really should have been a win against South Carolina. Uh, so I think you'll see a focus team this week. I think Marshall's a more veteran team. They're more used to winning. That always worries me. They're playing at home, so they have several advantages. Um and I just think this is going to be a tough game for ECU. You know, as, as good as the defense looked last week, I'm worried about Marshall's passing attack. They have a lot of weapons. they got a 6'4 receiver who can go up and get it. They've got a tight end who's a matchup problem. Grant Wells, although he's turnover prone at times, is throwing the ball extremely well. They've got solid running backs. And then you look at ECU's defense. Yeah, they played well last week. But I think this week is just going to be a, t- a totally different challenge. Stand those loud. Um, uh, <laughs> I think it's going to be a totally different challenge in terms of trying to stop both the pass and the run at the same time. So, like, as good as ECU's defense played last week, this week I think they'll show a lot more in terms of how much they've, they've really grown. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, you know, against South Carolina, you know, Zeb Nolan is Zeb Nolan, and South Carolina's, um, you know, best running back, Kevin Harris, he wasn't really all that involved in the – game plan he's worked his way back from injury so it wasn't really you know the traditional South Carolina team you in talent you expect to go up against so you know yeah I I don't know what to make of it and defensively I think like we said I thought the corners looked better last week but the corners have still shown the defense of the secondary as, as a whole has shown you know vulnerable at times you know the pass rush you know I don't think ECU has a consistent guy on the defensive line especially with Elijah Morris a little banged up that can put consistent pressure on the quarterback and I think if you want to really contend with Marshall in this game you do need to get consistent and constant pressure in the backfield yeah I agree I mean you have to find a way to pressure Grant Wells if you want to have a uh, a chance to, to win this football game so we talk about the defense really to talk about the offense Jonathan ECU yet to crack 20 points on the scoreboard through two games. And in 2021, that is not a good thing offensively. You've got to find a way to score points in college football. Really almost, if you're not scoring in the 30s, you have a pretty uh, below average offense this day and age. So 19 against App State, 17 against South Carolina. Marshall, meanwhile, we went over it earlier. They've put up a ton of points, 93 combined points through two games. We can talk about how really what tests they face, et cetera. You know, I think they're going to put up points, though, on Saturday. That it, it, They just seem to have too many weapons offensively. So I ask you this. How many points, realistically, does ECU need to score to feel like they have a shot on Saturday when you look at this game heading, in, heading into the weekend? Uh, that's, that's tough. I mean, you're not going to win if you put up, you know, 17 17- 19, 20 points. You might not win if you put up 30, but 
to me, I, I think I think thirty is that number. I think you have to you have to get to. I think you have to put up thirty points. If you do, you're probably in the game. If you're in the low twenties, you know it's pro- it's probably not enough. So, for me, thirty is the number I look at. But I could realistically see it be being you know a high scoring you know forties type of game shootout. But I don't know. But to me, thirty is the number. You start there. You get to thirty. And you hope you're in the game. And if you need more, then hopefully you're in a position to get more late in the game. But I, I think 30 is, a, given the state of ECU's offense right now, I think 30 should be the goal. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think, of course, the coaches are going to go into it saying we need to just score one possession at a time. But, you know, we don't get paid to talk like that. So we get paid to try and figure out what the end result is going to be or, or kind of estimate it. You know, you, I, I think if you're ECU, you're happy – if you hold Marshall, obviously, I think if you if you hold Marshall in the upper twenties, you're happy. If you hold him in the low thirties, I think that's a respectable showing. Like if you hold them to thirty one to thirty five points, that's not ideal, maybe, but I think given what they have offensively, you can live with it. So I agree with you. I think you have to probably get at least into the low thirties to have a shot. I feel like this has a good chance of being a thirty five, thirty one type of game or something like that. If it's a close game, also can see a scenario where Marshall wins like 38-20 or something like that if ECU's offense doesn't pick it up. So I think you have to get into the 30s to have a shot. I think you've got to score 35 or more to feel good about having a good chance to win the football game. Can ECU do that? I don't know. I mean, I just think it's 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 such a struggle right now, and it's kind of tough to put your finger on what the issues are. I mean – Everybody wants to blame Holton Aylers, and yes, he had a bad game last week. Everybody wants to talk about offensive coordinator Donnie Kirkpatrick and how he can call better plays, but it really is a combination of everything, like quarterbacks making bad decisions, throwing inaccurate balls, the receivers are dropping the ball, offensive line failing to protect at times, running backs not picking up blitz. I think the one thing ECU has done well through two games is is run the football pretty well. They haven't done it a whole lot which is interesting because I feel like that can be their identity. Jonathan, when you kind of look at this offense right now, how do you how do you sum up the struggles you've seen through the first two games, if you can sum it up in words? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's a combination of everything. You know, Holton Aylers, like you said, he hasn't been great. But like I said earlier, I think if you look back at his week one performance, I think it was better than it might have originally indicated to a lot. I think you get that Hail Mary back, and I think he's – I don't remember the numbers. It's been a while, but his numbers are a lot more respectable if that Hail Mary comes down, which it should have. Um, But obviously last week, you know, his his performance was was bad. It was, one I think, one of his worst performances at ECU. But, you know, I think you can't blame it all on on Holton. I think – the offensive line has been inconsistent. Losing Bailey Malavik 10 snaps into the season doesn't help. Um, whether or not Noah Henderson is 100% ready to step into a big role right away like he has been forced to, who knows? But to me, you know, Holton, when he does have time to throw the ball, it's been an inconsistent ball, and he's he's missed those open throws, like you said. And, you know, sometimes he hits throw, and the receiver drops it. And something I've noticed, I – I think the lack of a true downfield threat on this offense at receiver is the biggest reason you don't see, you know, 
numbers like we've seen in the past from this offense. I think losing Brett Blake Prohl is huge. You know, Tyler Snead is obviously great, but he's more of an underneath, you know, short yardage type of receiver, a slot guy. He's He can beat you downfield, but there's not a lot of plays typically designed for him to do so. I think C.J. Johnson, you know, he's been inconsistent too, and it feels like when the ball is not thrown his way, then there's some penalty or something, and penalties, that goes for the whole offense too. You know, we saw against App two scores taken back due to penalties. So I think it's a culmination of everything. Holton Ehlers hasn't been great. The receivers have not been good. The offensive line has been inconsistent. The tight ends blocking has been inconsistent. I've liked what I've seen out of the running backs, but really everything else has just been inconsistent, and we've yet to see everything click at even an average level at the same time. So I think once that happens and things will improve because everything together has been below average at the same time, and and because of it, it's been a really poor stretch from the offense. Yeah, I think you brought up a good point about the receivers. Like, I feel like this is the first year in a while and, and maybe the last couple of years. Like, ECU just hasn't had the, the best receivers. I feel like in the past that has been a strong suit of the team, like six deep at receiver. And this year, I feel like it's Tyler Sneed, consistent playmaker. And outside of that, I don't know what you can count on week to week. We've seen Josiah Hatfield make plays, but then he, he'll drop a pass. We You know, C.J. Johnson – apparently having trouble at this point staying healthy enough to practice all the time. He's been inconsistent. Uh, you know, the, he just has not been able to to follow up his freshman year to this point, and it, it's really kind of head-scratching as to why a guy with that much talent can't, I guess, produce more consistently. Um, so that's been an issue. And, you know, we, we've heard so much about the tight ends, but, you know, when they do get thrown the ball, they drop the ball. Like Ryan Jones last week had a play designed to him. He drops it coming out of the, 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 the second half, and then Shane Calhoun's been beat up. So, you know, it just feels like the offense in year three under uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick has yet to really hit its stride, and that's a concern. You know, we, we've seen the flashes up and down, but until they reach that level of kind of efficiency from week to week, and they don't have to be scoring 50 points, but just basically scoring 30 points a week, I don't think is, is too much to ask. Um, we talked about the, the how many points – ECU needs to score this weekend. Here's an interesting stat, Jonathan. I'm looking at Marshall from last year. And granted, they basically played a pretty weak schedule. I mean, this was their schedule last year. Eastern Kentucky, Appalachian State, Western Kentucky, Louisiana Tech, Florida Atlantic, UMass, Middle Tennessee, Rice, and UAB, and Buffalo. But I look at their totals from last year. These are the point totals they gave up in those games. Zero to Eastern Kentucky, 7 to Appalachian State in a win, 14 at Western Kentucky, 17 at Louisiana Tech, 9 against Florida Atlantic, 10 against UMass, 14 against Middle Tennessee, 20 against Rice, 22 against UAB, 17 against Buffalo. So they did not give up more than 25 points all season long. And they haven't given up that total. They haven't given up more than 30 points since the uh, the bowl game in 2019 against UCF. So that's a little concerning for me because I feel like part of the problem for ECU's offense has been the opponents it has faced the first two weeks. South Carolina's defense is good, as is App State's. And um, it appears they're going to face another strong defense this week. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, that's that's really interesting with those point totals because, uh, like I said, I didn't really know much about Marshall, especially defensively, but that's that's a little concerning and scary coming into it. 
But, you know, eventually if, if ECU wants to make that leap into a bowl caliber team, you're, you're going to have to, you know, overperform. You're going to have to come out and play well against the teams that maybe you're not supposed to play well against. The offense is going to have to perform well against defenses that is better than the offense. So successful football teams find a way to win. And if if you want to be Marshall, then somehow, some way, the offense is going to have to come out and play well. The defense is going to have to hold up. So, you know, if like I said, if, if you want to make a bowl game and you want to win some of these games that you're not supposed to, eventually everything has to click at the same time. And we've yet to see that. So if it can, who knows, maybe maybe it happens, but it's it's tough. It's concerning coming into it, but it's a very big game, so we'll see. Looking at the Phil Steele magazine, I see that Marshall returns eight starters from last year's defense. So, again, experienced defense. Like they have four starters on the back end that are back. Uh, they hired uh, Lance Gidry to be the defensive coordinator. I believe that's a, a new defensive coordinator. So they are in a new system. Um, and so last year, it looks like he was at Southeastern Louisiana. Um, oh, okay. No, he, he was, he coached at Florida Atlantic in 2020, where he's a defensive coordinator and he was at Southeastern Louisiana before that. So you're getting a guy who's well-traveled, looks like a good coordinator. So uh, yeah, they'll be strong on the d- defensive side of the ball. I do think this is a game where if you're ECU, you're probably, it's, it's still a more favorable matchup than app and South Carolina were defensively. So at some point, you just have to go out there and execute and do some different things to, to move the football. I think we'll see more running game this week. Looking at Marshall through the first two games, they have struggled at times to stop the run. Um, and they were facing, of course, Navy, which you have to kind of throw that out. But even against North Carolina Central, they kind of ground and pounded them at times. So we'll see. They haven't really been tested in the air, and but they do have a lot of experience returning on the back end, including Stephen Gilmore, who was um, who's the brother of Stephon Gilmore. So I, I remember when he was getting recruited out of South Carolina, he was a talented recruit, had a bunch of big offers, ends up at Marshall. I assume that may have been a grades deal or whatnot, but he's a good player either way. So um, he's a name to watch heading into Saturday. All right, Jonathan, I'll ask you this. We'll get into our predictions here in a little bit. but And the, the answer may be obvious, but we'll pick two different players. Each of us will pick one. Going to this game, who, who's kind of the main guy – on the entire team that you think has to feel or has to play his best ball for ECU to have a chance to win? Um, I mean, the, the one answer is obvious. I'll, I'll, I'll save that one for you, but I'm going, I'm going to go with Tyler Sneed. I think, I don't, I don't think we've seen the Tyler Sneed we're accustomed to so far in the first two games, but you know, like we said earlier with the lack of real weapons at receiver, I think it's very easy for teams to kind of game plan specifically for Snead and kind of take him out of the game. But I think Snead, we need to see him get back to, you know, just, just simple stuff, you know, run short routes, get open and catch the ball when it comes your way. And I think if ECU can get that Ehlers to Snead connection going consistently, then it, it that's tough for anybody to face, no matter who you have on your defense. Tyler Snead, Snead is a matchup nightmare when he's at his best. And I think if he can get going in the return game as well, too, I think he's been a little bit inconsistent there. But I think if Tyler Snead can come out and really, like I said, play at the level that we're used to seeing Tyler Snead at, then it's going to add a different dynamic that we haven't seen yet this season to ECU's offense. 
And I also think if Snead starts performing and puts up big numbers like we've seen before, then it's going to open up guys like C.J. Johnson, Josiah Hatfield, and the run game too um, if Snead is rolling at his best. So I think Snead, maybe not the answer anybody was expecting there, but to me, I think he's a big factor in the offense and it should be the number one focus of the offense should be getting Tyler Snead the ball because the team is best when the ball is in Tyler Snead's hands. I think that's a good take, and uh, you know something interesting coming out of last week. I, I can't remember if he was targeted in the first half or not. We know, of course, he hit the the jet sweep pass, which, I, by the way, was a freaking dime, man. That after <laughs> watching that on replay, I did not realize how well he threw that football, but he threw the piss out of it. Um, it always is with him. Yeah, I mean, you know, last year to Blake Prohl, it he, always is. And maybe we'll continue to see some variations of that play because it, hey, two for two with two touchdown passes, we'll take it. Um, and before we go any yeah. further, no, for the fans, no, Tyler Sneed should not be ECU's starting quarterback. Just wanted to throw that out. Should not. But he's a heck of a passer. I'll give him that. He's got a good arm from his baseball playing days. Also had like three people come at me on Twitter for tweeting out Tyler Sneed for QB question mark, not realizing that I tweeted that out immediately after the play, not after Holt Naylor struggled. Like <laughs> – Check the timestamp, people. I'm not trying to say Tyler Sneeze should legitimately play quarterback. Uh, anyways, back to your original point before I give my answer. Tyler Sneeze, six targets last week, five catches. Force this man the football, okay? I don't care what it takes. Even if teams are doubling him, which they are a lot, I feel like ECU still needs to get the football to him, especially on those third downs, and obviously not force the ball too much. But you almost have to kind of throw in tight windows at times to your best player. You know, they've tried it with CJ, and a few times that has turned into uh, interceptions or, you know, risky passes because sometimes CJ doesn't fight for the ball as much as maybe he should. Like last week was not a great route on the interception on the sidelines from Holton Aylers. But I feel like if you're throwing the football to Tyler Sneed, even in tight windows, there's a pretty high percentage he's going to make the catch, even if he gets five yards and is tackled right there. I just feel like they have to almost try and force the ball to him a little bit more because, yeah, teams are trying to take him away, but when you're catching five out of six targets, that's pretty efficient. Uh, you would take that every day of the week, even if he's wide open. So I think they got to find a way to get him the ball and get him the ball early. No catches in the first half last week, which was disappointing. And, um, you know, finishes with five for 35. Well, you do that both halves, that's 10 catches for 70 yards in a much better day. So we'll see how they kind of approach it this week. I'm sure Marshall will have a game plan for him, of course, as well. So, you know, the obvious answer here is Holton Aylers for me. I mean, I, I just think he's got to play at his best. I think going into the South Carolina game and you're playing an SEC team, you got to have your best players rise to the occasion. Unfortunately, Aylers did not that particular week. But I will say one thing about Holton Aylers is he has typically bounced back from bad performances in the past. Brought up last year's numbers, 29 of 50 with three picks in the loss to Georgia State. The next week, 17 of 26, three touchdowns, no picks. Later that year, poor game against Cincinnati, 9 of 20, three interceptions. He comes back the next week at Temple. You know, not the greatest performance in the world, but 11 of 22 with a touchdown. Also had a 70-yard run and a touchdown run. And then he closed the season against SMU with a strong performance. So I feel like... When Holt Naylor's has his back against the wall, he typically puts up a pretty good game. 
and he's had some very good games on the road specifically. So we'll see. It you know he's just got to play better. I'm not saying he's got to go throw for 450 yards for ECU to win or whatnot, but uh, I think he's got to play a pretty prolific game. I mean, let's be real. If ECU wants to get 30 plus points at Marshall, he's going to have to play at a pretty elite level. Um, so that's kind of my take. As far as the all the Mason Garcia talk, just to kind of put this to bed, at least for, for right now. So I asked Mike Houston, and I basically said at the press conference, look, as a reporter, I get this question more than anybody, more than anything else. So I'll ask you, Coach Houston. And I said, you know, do you think about putting Mason Garcia in a game like this past weekend? And he basically said, no, Holt Naylor gives us the best chance to win. That's pretty much all he needed to say. And I'll continue for anybody who asked me, is Mason Garcia going to play? Is Alex Flynn going to play? Holt Naylor gives us the best chance to win. That's the coach's philosophy. That's not going to change anytime soon unless Holton goes out there and has four or five, you know, horrific more performances in a row. Right now, Holton Naylor gives them the best chance to win based on what they see at practice, and that's what they're going to go off of, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's what you have to go off of. You know, I think it's important to look at what you see in the game, and he, he hasn't been good enough, but I, it's probably the third time I've said it since we got here. But I think Holton Naylor's played well against App State if – one, two plays maybe go the way they should have instead of the way they did. So, you know, yeah, Holton Aylers gives us chance, gives us team the best chance to win right now. And, you know, Mason Garcia, I'm not saying he's never going to be the starting quarterback here. I think he will be, but it's not right now. He's, he's not ready yet. You know, I'm not out there at practice anymore. Um, so you see a lot more than I do, but I just, I just don't think Mason Garcia is ready yet. And that's fine. He doesn't have to be. And, you know, Holt Naylor's, we've seen what he can do when he's at his best. And if he can get, you know, if he can come out and play well against Marshall, get that confidence back, and then come out against Charleston Southern, and, and hopefully I don't want to I don't want to um, take anything away from them, but, you know, put up the numbers you probably should against a team like Charleston Southern, and you come out of that with two solid performances as you head into the meat of your schedule, then I think we're going to be having a very different conversation in a month or two. Yeah, I think, you know, the performance has not been good. And the biggest frustration is I think a lot of people expected it to go to a new level with it being the third year of the system. But, it, you know, we do have to remember it is two games. There are 10 games left. If he goes out this weekend and throws for 300 yards, three touchdowns, then I think everybody will calm down. And, and maybe we can see Mason Garcia versus Charleston Southern, hopefully in a blowout situation. If not, I'll be even more concerned than I am now. But uh, I, I do think if EC, if for some reason ECU goes down big in this game, let's say 31-10 to 10 at the start of the fourth quarter, I do think in those situations we have to start seeing Mason Garcia. Like, I, I, you know, I get that. The South Carolina game, I understand. And Donnie made a great point in yesterday's press conference. ECU was winning basically the entire game. As bad as the offense looked, are you really going to pull your veteran quarterback for a guy making his real second his second real appearance in a college game against his home state team? He would probably be nervous as hell or like overexcited. I don't know how to describe it, but it would it would not be a situation where you put him in the game and you know exactly what you're going to get. So that was not the situation for Mason Garcia. But if you're losing 31 to 10 in the fourth quarter or at any point in this game, then I think you're at the point now where you have to start putting in somebody else in those situations. Like Holton 
has had three years in the system. We keep hearing Mason Garcia is not getting any playing time or doesn't have the experience. At some point, you have to start getting guys in in those in those times. Now, knock on wood, I hope that we do not see ECU down thirty-one to ten in this game. But if so, or any other game, uh, I hope that they start going to a different quarterback in those instances. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, I think like as we said, we talked earlier about, you know, what we see in practice and what Coach Houston and Donnie Kirkpatrick see in practice. But, you know, to me, in my eyes, granted, I'm not a football coach and they know a hell of a lot more about what they're talking about than I do. But I think the best way for a quarterback to learn is in those game experiences, even if he's just coming in and, you know, whether or not you have a, if you have a big, even if you have a big lead and you're up, you're up 31 to 10 in the fourth quarter, obviously you're probably not going to put Mason Garcia in yet at that point, you're going to wait a little bit, but even if he's just coming in and handing the ball off and, you know, not really taking shots downfield, just doing short stuff, kind of run the clock out. I think that's a valuable experience as well, but I agree. I think if you're down big in these games, you, you do need to start, you know, putting Mason Garcia in because you're not going to have Holt Nailers forever whether or not that's this year, next year, whatever. But eventually you're going to have to turn to someone else. And, you know, I think you'd rather Mason Garcia have at least a little bit of game experience, even if it's spotty coming here and there, game to game in garbage time. I think you want him to have a little bit of experience there instead of just, you know, week one, whenever he is eventually started here again, which I believe he will be one day instead of that being his first real experience outside of, you know, last year's game, which we'll throw that one out. <laughs> All right, Jonathan, it is prediction time. ECU Marshall, you know you can't return to the podcast without making an official prediction. You're, since you don't do it on our, our uh, prediction thread anymore on game days, we'll let you make it here on the podcast. What do you got? Give me a score. Give me a winner. Well, I, I still stick to uh, my predictions that I, I still throw it in the in the game thread or not the game thread, but the prediction thread each week. Um, so I've still been giving them, but man, and I'll throw it out there. I, I thought we I thought UC would lose to App State in week one, and uh, in in eyes of transparency, I, I said that UCU would beat the crap out of South Carolina last week. That that was I my mean, prediction. They should have at one point in time. They should have. They, they should have. And, you know, after the App State game, I think I went back to they'll beat South Carolina next week. So, you know, take that for what you want. But I'm I'm going to say this is a 33-23 to 23 Marshall win. I, I wish I could predict otherwise, but until I start seeing changes and I start seeing reason to have for change – then I, I, I can't predict it. So I, I just think Marshall's the better team right now. I think they're going to, you know, favored by 10. I think they're going to hit that. And I, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope ECU wins by 10, but I, I don't see it. I just don't. Yeah, Huntington, very tough place to play. Went there in 2013 when ECU was playing for a Conference USA championship with Shane Card and Ruff McNeil. That was a 10-win team, and they just got absolutely curb stomped. Now, that was a very good Marshall team. Rakeem Cato was an absolute – stud at quarterback uh, but they always get fired up to play ECU at home I hope the Pirates and this young team understand that Marshall is a legitimate football team ton of talent I mean they have more talent than your average Conference USA team so uh, they're gonna have to play extremely well to win 
I do think the offense bounces back in a pretty big way, but I don't think it'll be enough. Uh, they, they just, they just got to execute better across the board, and Marshall, in my opinion, is very good. Um, so I'm going 35-24 Marshall, similar score to you, Jonathan. You know, I think Marshall's got a, a good offense. I think this will be a close game, and then Marshall gets the touchdown late to kind of pull away. Uh, but I do expect a much better offensive showing. You know, 24 points, not lighting the world on fire, but we just ran over the, the totals Marshall gave up last year, so they got a good defense. Um, I think Holt Naylor's will play better. I think this game will be there for the taking if ECU can execute offensively better and defensively get some turnovers. The one thing about Marshall I'll say, they do put the ball on the ground a lot, and Grant Wells, as good as he is, he will force the ball. Their first game of the year, they fumbled four times through two picks. Last week, they uh, threw, I think, a pick and fumbled three times. So uh, ECU's got to jump on the ball when they get a chance. They have to intercept the ball when the ball hits them in the hands. How many times have we seen that, Jonathan? Potential game-changing play, great job by the defender but can't complete the interception or can't dive on the fumble like the South Carolina game. You know, their game when he drive, ECU had a chance to recover a fumble. Those opportunities, ECU's got to jump on them to have a shot against a, uh, a good team on their home field. If ECU does win, this would probably be – actually, this would be the best win of the Mike Houston era, in my opinion, to go on the road and beat a winning football team in a crucial game and really turn the narrative of the season around. So we'll see what happens. Um, by the way, Jonathan, how are you going to watch this game, man? I can't wait to load up um, gr- the – the greatest, you know, site in the history of the world, Facebook. Um, like, you know, I can't stand it to begin with, and now I have to watch a college football game. And that's, you know, the football game is going to drive us crazy anyways, just since, you know, it's college football, and we're all going to be stressed. And, you know, just pulling up on Facebook, I guarantee, you know, I'm not going to lie, I saw on the board earlier this week that you're going to put out an article on Thursday or Friday on how the hell you're going to watch it. So I'm waiting for you to put that article out to explain it to me because I have no clue. It's, it's Oh, up. that's a dog. Wow. <laughs> we're, we're, we're having a serious conversation here. Go ahead. <laughs> but I, I just think, you know, Facebook, it's, I think it's, I think it's stupid. I think watching football games on Facebook is stupid. Put it on ESPN plus so I can watch it on my TV and not have to take my computer or my iPad or whatever the hell I want to and just find a way to connect it because it's just this pain in the butt. I can't stand it. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I can't say I understand it either. I saw ECU Kid, one of our posters, was tweeting out links. I think it's like watch USA or USA football on Facebook or some BS. So, I, you know, I, I we're two days out from kickoff. I don't even know how that y'all guys are going to watch it. I am traveling to Huntington. Well, you know, hopefully I make it. I hate that drive. Uh, I feel like I'm going to die every time. So there's a 50-50 chance I, I will not return. Um, so hopefully I can make it safely. But, yeah, that, you know, we always get a lot of hits on our How to Watch articles, even if it's like ESPN2 because people are just dumb for some reason and can't go to the <laughs> ecupirates.com schedule and see that it has the TV listed on it. They want to Google it or they want to come to our site and ask how to watch it. Well, folks, I don't blame you for this week because I don't know how the hell to watch it on Facebook. USA, I don't really know what they're doing uh, as far as broadcasting games on Facebook. This is why I'm glad ECU's out of USA. Hopefully they don't have to go back to USA 
We could do a whole conference realignment podcast right now, but we're not going to do that. Um, but yeah, it, it's a it's a weird situation. But I am excited, Jonathan, about the 2023 matchup, uh, Marshall and ECU. That game will be broadcast on Instagram. So I hope you're ready for that. <laughs> I can't wait for the eventual, you know, TikTok and Snapchat. And, oh yeah, Snapchat you know? games. Yeah, that'll be a good one. You have to watch them one in day- ten second increments. Oh, yeah, exactly. One day they're just going to, you know, send out a live link via text message or email or some stupid crap like that. And we're going to have to watch football games on anywhere but the TV where you should. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how that evolves over the years. You know, the one good thing about maybe a Facebook game, actually the one terrible thing about a Facebook game, but highly entertaining thing will be the Facebook comment section as the game is going on. You guys know how bad the Facebook commenters are out there. Imagine all those people in the moment watching the game, acting as experts. Like we have some passionate people in the Hoist of Colors message board that like have some crazy takes and they know a little bit about what they're talking about at times. But the people on Facebook are the dumbest people in the world. And they will be commenting on the entire game. Oh, I I, I cannot wait to see that comment section filled. It, it never fails, you know. You just take a, anybody listening, just literally go on Facebook right now. And the first post that's like from a big page or something or not, whether it's sports or anything, sports, entertainment, movie, TV, I don't care. Just go on Facebook right now. First post you post you see with just any sort of information on it. I guarantee you go into the comments and it's a whole bunch of BS and people just it just becomes a pissing contest of people who think they're more correct. And it's annoying, and Facebook is a beautiful place just due to how crazy it is. It, it never fails, no matter what. It never fails. It is a beautiful disaster, and now ECU football fans get to experience that beautiful disaster. On Saturday at 6 o'clock, Jonathan, that'll do it for the podcast, man. It was good to have you back on. We'll get you back on again. Uh, good luck at On3. Keep uh, Keep doing your thing, man. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. I'm glad to be back. And before I go, I will throw out a bonus prediction like I always did last year. Rajay Harris, 100 yards rushing and a touchdown. I think it's the game, you know. I think it's a game he breaks out. I'm looking forward to it. I think they're going to commit to the run a little bit more. But, yeah, I'm excited to see how UCU plays. Like I said, I I think it's as close to a must-win game you can get at this point in the year. So uh, it's a very big game. I think I think the players know that, the coaches know that, and I think Marshall knows that. So I'm excited to see it play out, even if I have to watch it on Facebook. But I'm still on the board every once in a while, not nearly as much as I used to be. But uh, I appreciate it, and I'll definitely talk to you soon. All right, he is Jonathan Wagner. Uh, the dog you heard, that was Zoe. I am Steven Igo. Uh, appreciate you guys listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. We'll be back with you after the game, just as a warning. Uh, yeah, traveling to and from Huntington takes some time, so probably will not have the post-game podcast up because we're traveling back Sunday. Probably won't have the post-game pod up until Monday, realistically. Maybe Sunday night, but it depends on how things are going. Uh, so uh, we'll, let, we'll keep you guys updated. But All right, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you after the game.
time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.